Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with the schedule of English language broadcasts, or it's simpler to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Radio Havana, Cuba, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, and France 24. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. North Korea, the United States, South Korea, and Japan have all been launching missiles in response to each other's provocations. Taiwan says it will regard any violation of its airspace by China as a first strike and will launch a counterattack. Pakistan leaders say it should be compensated for the climate devastation caused by wealthier nations who have created global warming. NHK Japan Shows of military strength are continuing in Eastern Asia in response to North Korea's launch of an intermediate-range ballistic missile on Tuesday. It was the first to fly over Japan in five years. It traveled about 4,600 kilometers, the longest recorded distance for a North Korean projectile. It landed about 3,200 kilometers east of Japan. Early Wednesday, South Korean and U.S. forces fired ground-to-ground missiles toward the Sea of Japan. The South's Joint Chiefs of Staff says the militaries each launched two missiles from the Army Tactical Missile System. It says this shows the ability of both forces to respond to any provocative attempt by the North. Earlier this year, the two militaries launched missiles following multiple test firings by Pyongyang. On Tuesday, South Korea and the United States staged a bombing drill with fighter jets. On the same day, one ground-to-ground missile crashed into a base immediately after being launched by the South Korean military. The Joint Chiefs says there have been no reported injuries or damage to neighboring structures. The Yonhap News Agency reports the crash resulted in a flood of calls from nearby residents to local administrative offices. And the confusion continued throughout the night as the military made no announcements for hours. Now, Japanese politicians are also responding. They voted to send a message protesting Pyongyang's recent missile launches. The resolution was approved unanimously Wednesday by the lower house of the Diet. The North has fired missiles on more than 20 occasions since the start of the year. The resolution also said North Korea's actions pose a grave and immediate threat to Japan's security and called on Pyongyang to stop its provocations. The upper house is expected to adopt a similar measure on Thursday. We begin with more missiles fired from North Korea just days after a launch triggered alarms across northern Japan. The Japanese Defense Ministry says the North launched two more ballistic missiles on Thursday morning. But this time, 
They were believed to have landed in the Sea of Japan. Officials think both projectiles fell outside of Japan's exclusive economic zone. They estimated that one flew for about 800 kilometers and may, it may have fallen in an irregular trajectory. No damage was reported. This is the sixth North Korean launch in 12 days. Taiwan's defense chief says Taiwan will regard any violation of its airspace by a Chinese military aircraft as a first strike and launch a counterattack. Defense Minister Chu Kuo-chen was responding to questions from a legislator of the ruling Democratic Progressive Party. Asked if a first strike included actions other than a missile launch, Chu answered yes. He was then asked if the entry of any Chinese military aircraft into Taiwanese airspace would be seen as a first strike. And Chu replied, definitely. Chu said Taiwan will take countermeasures if it decides the Chinese military has crossed what he called the red line. Chinese military aircraft have repeatedly crossed the so-called median line in the Taiwan Straits since August. The line is an unofficial buffer to prevent unintended military clashes. Taiwan previously defined a first strike by China as a missile attack or artillery shelling. Taiwan had said it would not launch an attack without such moves. But Chu said on Wednesday, China's military has undermined the tacit agreement on the median line, clearly changing the status quo. His remark is widely seen as an attempt to warn China not to escalate the situation any further. Pakistan's climate change minister says the time has come for countries on the front lines of the climate crisis to be compensated by wealthier nations. In an exclusive interview with NHK in Islamabad, Sherry Rahman described the impact of this year's historic flooding. It's a climate catastrophe that the world has never seen, that in living memory, Pakistan has certainly never seen it. The minister said extreme weather resulting from global climate change has recently brought on a series of disasters to Pakistan. The heat waves that started in in right after winter, we had no spring, they brought with them 53 degrees temperatures in the south. The highest amount of rain it's ever seen, you know, 1100 millimeters in a few hours for a city. From the whole year, four heat waves, glaciers melting into big floods. Naturally, people are angry because they've heard that this is from global warming. They don't know what's hit Pakistan. She said Pakistan has suffered harshly, although her country's contribution to greenhouse gases is minimal. She said countries which emit large amounts of carbon dioxide should take responsibility. Nature is waging a war on us because the rich countries wage this war on nature. And why are we facing it alone? We do feel and we do appeal to the international community that it is time to understand that climate uh, stress and climate emergencies need to be faced very squarely in the hot spots such as my country. We're in the front lines. We're the ground zero of this climate catastrophe. The COP27 UN Climate Change Conference will be held next month in Egypt. Rehman warns this could be humanity's last century and a fund needs to be created from which countries like Pakistan can get help quickly. 
Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. A viewpoint on the effects of Hurricane Ian on the island and the distorted media reports on protest as reported in the U.S. and European Union. Nicaragua has banned the entry of the new U.S. Ambassador Hugo Rodriguez because of his disparaging interventionist remarks about the nation. There have been rallies across the U.K. protesting inflation, the rising cost of living, and the Tory leader Liz Trust. Radio Havana, Cuba The world knows the devastating force of Hurricane Ian, which affected Cuba and Florida, leaving in its wake destruction and losses of homes, hospitals, schools, workplaces, agriculture, electricity, transmission support, telephone lines, and human lives, which in Cuba were only three, and in Florida about 80. Force three of this hurricane destroyed 29,000 homes in the province of Pinar del Rio and left over 3,700 users without electricity service, affected 396 schools and 122 public health facilities in Cuba. In Havana, damages to electric and telephone circuits have been considerable due to the fall of electric poles and transformers, but the rapid mobilization of workers from other provinces allowed the reestablishment of 285 primary circuits in four days. None of this is the responsibility of the Cuban government. Leaving Cuban territory, Hurricane Ian hit Florida with Force 4, devastating entire cities, leaving thousands of people homeless, throwing hundreds of yachts and boats against buildings, turning the streets into rivers, over 80 dead. In addition, Hurricane Ian devastated neighborhoods from the west coast of the state to inland cities such as Orlando, Sunnyvale Island, and Pine Island, some residents and businesses in the damaged counties will not have access to the power grid for weeks or months due to structural damage. However, no protests are reported in the streets of Florida, nor in the battered and partly destroyed Puerto Rico. Why? The answer is simple. The United States does not support or encourage protests against its system and rulers as they do against Cuba. To prove it, it is enough to read what is published daily from Miami by some journalists and others inside the island, paid for with USAID money. They read, Cubans are tired and the protests in Cuba do not stop. People are already in the streets. And they continue. People are blocking the streets. This is the right thing to do. Enough is enough. Of course, their aim is to distort the situation in Cuba, to justify the actions of economic warfare executed by the United States and to give pretext to accusations of false violations of human rights. This same strategy can be seen in the most recent declarations of Senator Marco Rubio, who in response to the worldwide call for an end to the United States blockade, he responded, This is not the time to help the regime. We are monitoring the situation in Cuba. The people are in the streets asking for freedom. Obviously, they are uncomfortable with the lack of electricity, but they are more uncomfortable with the lack of freedom. 
So the media war against Cuba is extensive and permanent. On January 23, 2018, the State Department organized the Internet Task Force for Subversion in Cuba, with the main objective as to develop, to the greatest extent possible, the political ideological subversion in order to create discouragement and disincentive in a good part of the population to achieve a change in their conceptions. Its current purposes are to promote public actions with young actors less committed to the traditional counter-revolution, to create and promote heterogeneous movements that appear to have a large social call to carry out peaceful opposition actions, provide visibility on the Internet through social networks, create newsletters, and try to access the mass media, to use young people or social sectors not identified as anti-system, supposedly apolitical and even progressive, with the objective of opposing them to the image of a totalitarian and failed state that opposes changes and improvements. So, for these reasons, there are no protests in Florida. Nicaragua has banned Washington's new ambassador from entering the country, citing the envoy's disparaging interventionist remarks about the Central American nation. Nicaraguan Vice President Rosario Murillo said the American official, Hugo Rodriguez, quote, will not under any circumstances be admitted into Nicaragua, AFP reported. Let that be clear to the imperialists. Murillo blasted the envoy for Rodriguez's interfering attitude towards Banawa, referring to the disrespectful comments he had made before the U.S. Senate. Rodriguez, whose appointment was confirmed by U.S. Senate on Thursday, has described Nicaragua as, quote, pariah state in the region, and claimed that Nicaraguan President Daniel Ortega's government was a dictatorship. He testified before the U.S. Congress, saying, quote, I would support using all diplomatic and economic tools to bring about change in Nicaragua. Manawa has also asked the European Union's ambassador, Bettina Muscheit, to leave the country on Wednesday, declaring her persona non grata. The decision followed a statement by the EU issued in the United Nations last week, in which it urged President Daniel Ortega to, quote, restore democracy. This is not the first time either the U.S. or the E.U. are caught meddling in Latin American countries' internal affairs. Over the past decade, many of the region's countries, including Venezuela, Cuba, Bolivia and Ecuador, have found Washington and Brussels in breach of their sovereignty. Instances of U.S. and the E.U.'s interference in these countries' internal affairs have featured their throwing substantial political and financial support behind anti-government groups, lobbying against the countries across the international organizations, such as the United Nations, and levying numerous sanctions against the nation. Thousands of people across the UK have held rallies to protest inflation and the rising cost of living. The Enough is Enough rallies, organised by workers' unions and climate change activists, were held over the weekend in all major UK cities, including the capital London. Helen, another protester at King's Cross, said she was there because she was against the current right-wing government. She said the country's latest Prime Minister is, quote, on the far, far right. People are going to really suffer in all kinds of ways, and we don't know where it's going to end. We need to get rid of them. We need to get rid of this Tory government. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. There's no podcast up there. 
On short wave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon Pacific Daylight Saving Time on Monday through Friday. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Former U.S. Army General Petraeus described how NATO would respond to any use of nuclear weapons by Russia. Inflation is extreme in Turkey. In the Baltic Sea, the four sabotaged gas pipelines are releasing an enormous amount of methane into the atmosphere. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Former U.S. Army General David Petraeus says NATO would respond to any use of nuclear weapons by Vladimir Putin by destroying all Russian forces in Ukraine. The warning comes several days after Ukraine seized the eastern city of Liman, a key Russian supply hub. The defeat is a stinging blow to Putin and triggered a call from his Chechen ally Ramzan Kadyrov for Moscow to deploy low-yield nuclear weapons in Ukraine. General Petraeus gave ABC News his personal assessment of how the U.S. and its allies would respond. I mean, just to give you a hypothetical, um, we would respond by leading a NATO, a collective effort, that would take out every Russian conventional force that we can see and identify on the battlefield in Ukraine and also in Crimea and every ship in the Black Sea. Now, inflation in Turkey has jumped to a new 24-year high, a week after the central bank cut interest rates again. Inflation hit 83% in September, according to the state statistics agency. However, an independent inflation research group claims the actual rate is more than double that. The Turkish government has said inflation would fall with its new economic model, which prioritizes low interest rates to boost production and growth. Now, the Swedish Coast Guard has found a fourth leak in the North Stream gas pipelines that ruptured after undersea explosions were de- detected. Scientists say the Baltic sea lines could be pumping out the biggest methane release on record. Questions of blame remain as both the EU and Russia demand answers. Moscow has called a United Nations Security Council meeting to address the issue. The gas escaping from the pipelines is also an environmental concern. It contains high levels of methane, and authorities fear it could be the equivalent of one-third of Denmark's total annual greenhouse gas emissions. Well, for more on these environmental effects, we are now joined by Sascha Müller-Krenner. He's an executive director of the NGO Environmental Action Germany. Sascha, your organization said that the leaks have already caused immeasurable damage. Could you put that into perspective for us? Yes, uh, it was already told before here in the reporting that uh, this is the largest methane leak that we've ever seen on Earth. Uh, This is a super emitting event. We have uh, three or four pipelines that are now basically losing all their methane through the water in the atmosphere. And when you compare the overall amount that will be lost if we don't act now and start removing gas from the pipeline, this will be far beyond the largest lignite power plant in Germany. And as was said, it would be a third of Denmark's annual emissions. So a lot of climate policy measures that we've taken in the past would be null and void because of this single event. Mm. Um, You said that uh, you called for pumping out the remaining gas. Now, the head of the Danish Energy Agency said that the biggest part of the gas has already come out of the pipes and he added that the rest will come out by Sunday. So would this pumping out be actually worth it? 
Well, uh, every day we lose is a lost day for the climate. So we should open the gas pipeline on the German side. And by the pressure that is in the pipeline, a lot of the gas would move from the pipeline to gas storage facilities or to, to the, the on-land pipeline system. This is gas that could then be used in the energy crisis. The same with the Russian gas company Gazprom acts responsibly could be done on the Russian side. Well, this will not uh, reduce the problem to zero, but it will minimize the problem at least a little bit and leave some of the methane burden from the atmosphere. So what's the worst case scenario in your view for the people living close to those leaks? Are there any health issues? No, actually, it's it's better in, in that respect, it's better than an oil leak. So there is no lasting damage to the marine environment. There obviously has been the explosion. There has been suffocation locally, but temporarily, but the gas will leave the water. So this is not the problem. What we will have in the future, though, is two damaged pipelines, two damaged pipelines on the ground of the sea, and we should remove them. We should not have those pipelines anymore, and we should fully rely on the future of renewables, and not on those fossil fuel infrastructures. Sascha Müller-Krenner, Executive Director of the NGO Environmental Action Germany. Thank you very much for your time. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like many listeners have done over the years. Many thanks. We will conclude with France 24. A bit more on the leaking pipelines in the Baltic Sea. New UK Prime Minister Liz Truss reversed her decision to scrap the 45% income tax on people making over £150,000 per year. Then press reviews on reactions to the protest in Iran that resulted from the death of a woman in custody and a New York Times report on systemic sexual abuse in U.S. women's soccer. France 24 these images were released by the Swedish Coast Guard on Thursday. They show a fourth leak in the Nord Stream pipelines after ruptures first reported on Monday. The unexplained leaks have prompted the European Union and Russia to point at sabotage, with Moscow saying it has intelligence to indicate that the West had a role in the breaches. There was a clear beneficiary, Washington of course. If we summarize what has been said by American officials over the past years, putting Nord Stream out of action will allow the United States to increase the supply of its liquefied gas to the European Union. We're starting with a sudden policy reversal from the Liz Truss government in the United Kingdom. The plan to cut taxes for the richest 1% in the country has been scrapped. Charles Pellegrin, our business editor, is here with more.
Hey, Aaron, absolutely. It's, it's been a whirlwind 10 days for Kwasi Kwarteng, Liz Truss's uh, financial minister. He, uh, since he unveiled his uh, Reaganomics-tinged uh, mini-budget uh, 10 days ago, the 45 billion pound uh, mini-budget showed a raft of unfunded tax cuts, including for the richest 1% of the country, those earning over 150,000 pounds a year, taxed at 45%. The government was convinced this would stimulate growth in a call back to the heyday of trickle-down economics. Now, but that announcement didn't get the expected reactions from the markets. Concerns over increased borrowing and fiscal deficits prevailed. The sterling crashed against the dollar at levels not seen since the mid-80s. And government borrowing costs kept pushing higher as investors saw UK debt as a riskier asset. The pressure became too much, with pension funds worried about being able to meet their margin calls and the Bank of England having to step in, promising to buy its own government debt to the tune of 65 billion pounds over two weeks. Leading us to this morning, and this statement issued on Twitter by Kwasi Kwarteng, faced with the prospect of his plan not making it through the House of Commons, he says it's become clear the abolition of the 45p rate is a distraction from our mission to tackle the challenges facing the country. We get it. We listened. The news has sent the value of the pound rising against the dollar, and the British 10-year uh, gilt yield has returned below the 4% threshold. Looking at the pound, well, currently um, it's just over a, uh, one pound, just over a dollar and 11 cents, much higher than it was after uh, that uh, mini budget was presented 10 days ago. There are a lot of reactions in the papers today to Iran's supreme leader responding publicly for the first time to protests spreading across the country. Deptika Laurent, our press reviewer, is here to take us through it all. Well, that's right. Those comments by Iran's supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, really dominating the Iranian press today. Uh, you see here the Iran Daily quoting the supreme leader who called those protests engulfing the country, quote, rioting and accused the U.S. and Israel of being behind the protests. His comments have also been relayed in the Tehran Times today here, uh, the leader saying that the violent riots were planned. Now, these protests that have engulfed Iran for the past three weeks are the result of the death of uh, Masa Amini, who died in the custody of the morality police last month. Her death really sparking angry protests across Iran and across the world, and notably uh, by uh, led by women, some of whom have cut their hair or burned their hair scarves in a protest to uh, the death of this young woman. Now, like the Iran Daily, the Tehran Times, as I said, also headlining on the Supreme Leader's comments, he also called Amini's death a bitter incident, but one that did not warrant, quote, such destruction in the country. You found a report from the New York Times today that looks at systemic sexual and verbal abuse in women's soccer. That's right. This report is actually the result of a year-long investigation into uh, these allegations in uh, women's soccer in the U.S. It's a very disturbing report that brings some very disturbing incidents, such as uh, uh, an abusive coach who was fired from one team only to be hired by another team with no uh, disclosure about uh, the reason for which he was fired in the first place. Uh, in another case, a coach coerced players into a sexual relationship and in 
in yet another case. A coach asked a player to review her performance only to show her pornography. Uh, this report was commissioned by the U.S. Soccer Federation and it warns that this kind of abuse is also happening at a junior level. Uh, beyond the abuse, what's really striking about this report and really shocking is the lack of accountability taken by the league to curtail this kind of abusive behavior that seems quite uh, prevalent at all levels of women's soccer in the U.S., Aaron. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as on their YouTube channel called France 24 English. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link. And get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. This shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.